Good morning, everyone. Oh, what an exciting day. It's Easter Sunday. Uh, wow. Uh, thanks, everyone, for uh, coming this morning. Uh, if you're here in person and if you're online, I'm excited you're joining us. Um, if you're here, uh, I really like seeing masks. I, I love seeing people spaced out in family groups. I love it. Um, helping keep one another safe, washing those hands, uh, all those fun uh, things that are just part of our reality. Last year, we weren't able to gather, um, but we are this year, so that's exciting. Um, so welcome, everyone. Uh, if you're a visitor, um, you may notice uh, a little card in the back of the pew where the hymnals are. Um, it's a connect card, and you can write your name on it and uh, leave it in your seat or give it to an usher on your way out. And uh, that lets us uh, hook back up with you later, and thank you for coming. Uh, if you're uh, a regular attendee at this church, uh, we invite you to give to us. Um, there's a drop box in the back. Uh, you can put some uh, cash or check in there. You can also give online at cypherstreet.church forward slash give. Um, so uh, without further ado, uh, let's, let's pray and uh, prepare to worship together. God, thank you for allowing us to gather today and celebrate that you are risen. Um, it's a joy to celebrate that uh, because you died on the cross to forgive us of our sins and uh, it allows us to be one with you. So God, please center our minds and hearts on you today and uh, let us worship joyfully in your name. Amen. If you're able to stand, let's stand and begin our worship. And then it was the third day, Jesus said, I am the living one, I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. see Miss Geraldine here this morning. We're so glad you're And when I was her prayer partner, this was her favorite song. So let's sing Because He Lives.
to those. Uh, I've been passed some notes. Uh, there is Miss um, Weems who has some dental surgery on Friday. Um, so uh, we sh should have some prayers for her. And also uh, James and Adam Stevenson families. Uh, their Aunt Pat has passed away. Um, so please pray for them as well. God, uh, please uh, you know that each of us has needs, and we don't always express those, but you know our hearts, you know our minds, and please comfort us and fulfill our needs. We know that you care about us, and that if you sent your son to die for us so that we could be free, I know that you will fulfill our needs here on earth. Um, we don't need to worry, you have us. You will provide for us. And even though we struggle and we find despair in this world, 
we are redeemed through you. Uh, God, please continue to provide us and give us your comfort um, in all of our walks. Amen. Okay, uh, today's uh, reading, scripture reading, will be from Luke 24. Um, I, you can find that in your Bibles. You can find that on your phones, whatever. Uh, maybe I've got some words put on the screen. And I went a little crazy this week and uh, put a little extra, but that's not bad. Uh, so let's read that together. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Mouse, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Thank you, Nick. So good to be here this morning with you, this Resurrection Sunday, the most holy day of the year for we as disciples of Jesus Christ. As these two disciples on Resurrection Sunday were making their way from Jerusalem to Emmaus, probably about four to six in the evening of that Sunday. They, of course, encountered Jesus on the way, but did not recognize who he was. But they had hoped, past tense, they had hoped that he was who he claimed to be. It was on a Thursday, I believe it was, in one of my pastorates. I had finished both of my Sunday sermons, had the outlines submitted to the church secretary. She was going to be putting them into the bulletin on Friday. But all through Thursday night and then Friday morning when I got to the office, I felt impressed to change the Sunday morning sermon to go a different direction. I, I hate it when God does that to me. That just means I have to put that sermon on the shelf and preach it at another time. So I felt impressed to preach on depression. I took it from 1 Kings chapter 19 when Elijah, after his mountaintop experience in victory over the false prophets of Baal, and he began to run from Jezebel, a very wicked person who said she was going to kill him. Ran and ran and ran, and he became so depressed that he wished to die. Lost all hope whatsoever. So I went that direction on Sunday morning and preached that it, you, a person can get so discouraged, so depressed in life that he wishes to die, and many people do take their lives. I was pastoring a church that in six months, Six people related to that church had tried to commit suicide, and some of them had even succeeded. That Sunday morning, I was surprised to see a young man I knew walk into the church. He, to my knowledge, had only attended maybe on an Easter Sunday or a Christmas special service. His two children attended. His wife occasionally came. His parents always attended. His sister and her husband attended. He seldom, if ever, came. I never saw him smile. He often came to the church. He serviced our air conditioners and our heaters. In his probably late 30s, 
don't know exactly how old he was. I was in hopes that he'd come to the altar and get his life straightened out. I knew that he and his wife both were frequent users of drugs. Here was a man that uh, just, I just knew from his experience, uh, had no hope in his life. I think it was the following day, maybe a couple days later, his sister called, and I believe she, she talked to Sandy. I don't remember their conversation per se, but uh, she went out to his truck and found his pistol laying on top of my sermon outline. She asked him, what's going on? He said, Sunday, I was on my way to take my life. I had my pistol in my truck. For some reason, I stopped by the church. And when I heard Carvin's sermon, he was speaking to me. I knew exactly what he was saying, and I changed my mind. Then I knew why God had changed my mind. A man who had lost all hope. These two disciples had lost all hope. I'm not saying they were prone to take their lives, probably not. But according to verse 17, it says their faces downcast, or some translations say sad and gloomy. They were mourning the death of someone they'd been following for some time. In fact, verse 21 says, we had hoped past tense. Some translation says we had trusted we had expected that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. I understand that the word hope can be defined as a feeling of desiring for something and confident in the possibility of its fulfillment. That's where they had been, past tense. They had lived with the expectation that Jesus was the one of whom the prophets had been speaking of for centuries that was coming to redeem his people. Most of these disciples had left everything because of this hope that they had had. Matthew left his very good occupation as a tax collector that paid a good salary. He couldn't go back to that. The Romans would never trust him again. The Jewish people didn't trust him to start with. His own people looked down upon him as a traitor. Peter, James, and John left their fishing business behind. Some of them had spent considerable time being away from their families as they traveled the dusty roads following Jesus wherever his ministry would lead him. You see, the price of discipleship, the price of following Jesus was very costly then, and it still is today. Sometimes it cost us considerable amount of finances, our time, our energy, our status in the community, our relationship with people, even those within our biological families, everything. Therefore, we should not be surprised that as Luke describes these two disciples, he says their faces were downcast. Their hopes were shattered. I understand a person can live for about a month without food. I've never tried it and don't plan to try it. I enjoy eating. My doctors, cardiologists sometimes have tried to put me on a diet. And I said, no, I'm not going that direction. They said, you might live long. I said, but I won't enjoy it. <laughs> you measure life by length. I measure it by quality, not quantity. I understand you can live about a week without liquids and, and water. But you cannot live a moment without hope. Take away that hope. There's no reason to go on. There's no reason to exist. No reason to make plans beyond today. Louis B. Smedes made this statement about hope. And it's in your outlines, I believe, or on the overhead, on the slide. He said, hope is to our spirits what oxygen is to our lungs. Lose hope and you die. They may not bear you for a while, but without hope you are dead inside. 
The only way to face the future is to fly straight into it on the wings of hope. Hope is the energy of the soul. Hope is the power of tomorrow. End of quote. Verse 18 of our text says, One of these disciples was named Cleopas. That's the same name as Alphaeus, which was one of the 70 disciples that Jesus had. He was the father of the apostle James and Jude. The other disciple, we don't know who he is. Some have speculated he was Peter. I don't personally think he was because according to verse 33, after they recognized Jesus, Scripture says they ran to where the apostles were. How can Peter run to where Peter was? I haven't figured that out yet, but just common sense tell me it probably wasn't Peter. From the time that Jesus was arrested on Thursday night through his resurrection on Sunday, Jesus' disciples, not just these two, but I submit to you all of them, went through a variety of emotions, which I don't think any of us can completely understand. But I will try to give you some insight that I think I might have. For in those three days, Thursday night through Sunday, they went from a time of tragedy when Jesus was arrested through a time of testing, as they question what in the world is going on, where do I go from here, into a time of triumph on the day of resurrection. So let's look at these three this morning. Their time of tragedy. The two disciples said to Jesus, they crucified him. Let's go back some 2,000 years and try to put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples of Jesus Christ. The apostles, the 12 apostles, were having the Passover meal with Jesus on Thursday night. It is at that time that Judas leaves the 12 and Jesus and goes to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. The 11 witnessed this. They also witnessed Guards coming to arrest Jesus while he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying, not my will, but yours be done. They knew that Jesus went through a mockery of about three trials, starting on Thursday night, going through early Friday morning. Peter was there in the courtyard witnessing part of that. We, we often condemn Peter for betraying or denying three times that he knew him, but at least he was closer than the other apostles. They knew that Jesus was severely beaten, humiliated, stripped of all human dignity when he was nailed to the cross. They experienced darkness on Friday for a period of about three hours as Jesus was on the cross. The sun just completely refused to shine. They felt the earth tremble beneath their feet as if its creator, or it was grieving its creator's death. The apostle John, was the, which was the youngest of all the 12 apostles, was the only one to witness the actual crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He was there with Jesus' mother Mary and a few other women. In fact, it was Jesus who committed the care of his mother to the apostle John because they were kin, they were cousins. So John is the only apostle to witness the actual crucifixion. John and the women heard Jesus cry from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, some have denied that the Father didn't forsake him, and I'm not going to get into this theological debate. But in some sense, the Father had because he could not save his son and save you and I at the same time. Someone had to die for the wages of sin is death. And even though Jesus had been telling his disciples for about a year and a half that he was going to die... They still could not fully understand this death, or they were not willing to accept it. You see, they saw his death as a time of tragedy. We, we call it Good Friday. As a kid, I never could understand why do we call it good. 
He died. I call it good when God died. You see, it was the end of their hopes. They had staked everything on Jesus, but now he's dead. This brings them in to a time of testing in verse 21, where they say, we had hoped. We had trusted. We had expected that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. Now, some of Jesus' disciples had now been with him about three years. They had walked with him throughout Judea, Galilee, even gone into what was called Samaria, where no respecting Jew would ever go. They had always bypassed it, take the long route around uh, Samaria, go across the Jordan into the east. They had seen him enabling the blind to see again. They had watched him lift up the lame and make them well. They were with him when a woman crawled through a crowd to touch the hem of his garment, and instantly she was healed. They were with him when he raised three people, at least three people from the dead. The last one was Lazarus just a few days earlier. They had heard him speak with such authority that demons came out of people, seven out of Martha or Mary herself. They had seen the storms on the Sea of Galilee become calm. It's no wonder they had hoped, they had trusted that he was the one the prophets had spoke of. In fact, in verse 19 that was read, they said he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed. Moses and all the prophets had been preaching that one day, one day, God would send this Redeemer. He said he'd be born to the tribe of of, uh, Judah, the son of David in the town of Bethlehem to a virgin, as Jesus was. The prophet said he would be rejected by his own people, crucified with sinners, but would rise on the third day. This is something they forgot, completely forgot that he would rise again. The disciples believed. They hoped that would happen. In fact, only a year and a half earlier, Peter acknowledged Before the others, he said, yes, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. But all that was before Friday, before he was crucified, before he was nailed to the tree. At that time, there was no question in their minds as to whom Jesus was. They had given three years of their lives that he was going to redeem Israel. But now, the tragedy of Jesus' crucifixion has brought them to a time they were beginning to question, who is this person that we have been following? Doubt has entered, and therefore they say in verse 21, we had hoped. We had hoped. But notice the third thing. A time of triumph. Near the end of their discussion or their time with Jesus, they finally come to the place of saying, the Lord has risen. If everything in Jesus' life was removed from the scripture and we knew nothing about it, Take away all the miracles he ever performed. Take away all the prophecies that we know about. Take away all the teachings. If we knew just what we are reading here and in the other gospels that Jesus was raised from the grave, that in and of itself should prove that Jesus is the Son of God. The one that God sent 
the one the Father sent to redeem every person from his sins. We know on Friday, Crucifixion Friday, that two of Jesus' disciples, two others, not these, took Jesus' body down from the cross and placed it in a borrowed tomb. A stone was rolled across the entrance of the tomb and sealed, probably sealed with wax and a rope or cord uh, connecting the tomb with the uh, stone. Guards were put there, probably Jewish guards, because Pilate told the Jewish religious leaders, you have your own guards when they ask for guards. That was on Friday, then through Saturday. But today was Resurrection Sunday. The tragedy of Friday is over. The questioning and the time of testing is now complete. For Jesus now has given them proof that he is the Son of God. There's no doubt now in their minds that they see him in the flesh. As I thought about this text, I'm reminded that you and I are not that much different 2,000 years later from these disciples. We too experience moments in our lives of, of tragedy, testing, triumph, and victory. Because of Satan, Although he's limited, he still has a certain amount of power. And because of the effects of sin that's in this sinful world in which we live, there is no way of escaping those times of tragedy and testing. We all will experience it. No one is beyond getting sick. If that were the case, doctors would be out of business tomorrow. We will all catch some type of disease. That's why we're still wearing masks after a year. It's almost getting ridiculous. Maybe necessary. We all know the grief that comes when we lose a loved one. Uh, Sandy and I have lost two good friends and co-workers with our mission in the last month. And we received an email just uh, last week that someone, one of our former board members and uh, teachers has cancer. She's been just given a couple of weeks to live. I mean, it puts a pain in our gut when we first found out about it. We all face trials and tribulations. As long as we're living on earth, Satan will continue to test us and try to get us defeated. And God allows us to go through these times of testing to strengthen us, not to defeat us. Satan will try to defeat us, but God uses it to make us stronger. But regardless of how dark and hopeless our Fridays might be, regardless of how long our Saturdays of testing may continue, in the old English, I will tell you, Sundays are coming. Sundays are coming. And we can experience times of triumph when it looks like our world is coming apart. And I submit to you at times it looks like it. That's why I don't watch national news anymore. It's too depressing. Jesus' disciples experienced that time of triumph when they recognized Jesus for who he was. I want to just quickly share with you the events that brought them to recognize who he was, that brought them from their time of tragedy through their time of testing into their time of triumph. The first thing, item A, is Jesus explained the necessity of his death and resurrection, verses 25 through 27. Then he told them, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. In 1986, you may remember the nuclear explosion in Russia and Chernobyl. 
And some Soviet so, uh, rescue workers went in there to rescue some people. And in, rec in recognition of their sacrifice, a Russian newspaper published this poem. And let me just quote a uh, sentence. God is in a man who walked into a radiated complex, put out a fire, burned his skin and clothes, who didn't save himself but saved Odessa and Kiev, a man who simply acted like a human being, end of quote. Although many Russians at that time did not believe in God, they thought that if someone was willing to give their life for somebody else, he must be God. And I thought that was interesting. Church of God got started there just a few years after that happened. I didn't know if you know that or not. I met the man that got it started there a few years ago while living in Benton. Did you realize 2,000 years ago, God in human flesh walked on this earth into the human race which was headed for the fires of hell. He was pierced for our transgressions but he never tried to save himself. He could have. He could have called down 10,000 angels or more but he didn't. He did it to save us. Verse 25, Jesus said, How foolish you are. How slow to believe. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things? Absolutely, he did. For all have sinned against God. All have. And the wages of sin is death. But Christ has paid the price for every one of us. Jesus shared with them the necessity of his death. That's when I began as a kid to understand why we call it Good Friday. I don't have to die for my sins. Jesus did it for me. They realized that we are the reason that Jesus died. Item B, they invited Jesus to stay with them. Look at verses 28 through 29. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted if he was, were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. It would have been about four to six in the evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. As I was studying this, I could not help but think how close they came to letting Jesus walk on by. they might not have gotten another chance to see the risen Savior. Think about that. How many people in this service this morning might let him walk on by and may not ever get another chance? My friend who came to that service that morning on his way to commit suicide didn't get another chance. He was later found couple years later dead of an overdose never got another chance I never saw him in the church again I saw him laid out in a coffin at his funeral how close people come of letting Jesus walk on by have they not invited Jesus to stay their hopes would have been shattered on Calvary forever. Jesus' death would have remained a triumph. They would have never, never enjoyed the victory of the open tomb. Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in I will come in. So many people live as if Jesus is still on the cross of, tra of tragedy or still living in a buried grave. I remember the first Easter season we were in living in Latin America. The dominant religion there celebrate Friday 
more than Sunday. On Friday, they closed all the bars. Police go through town putting tape on the doors. On Sunday, they're all open. On Friday, they crawl on their knees, some of them 25 miles to get to the, a place of worship. On Sunday, they're in the bars. Their hope is still on Friday rather than on Sunday. But Jesus won the victory over Satan. He now stands at our heart's door calling out our names, pleading with you, open the door. Open the door. And I will come in. That's all we have to do is invite him in. Item C. Their faith becomes sight. Look at verses 30 through 32. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? Notice when Jesus came in, he was more than a guest. He assumed the position of the head of the house. He took the bread and blessed it and broke it and distributed it. See, when he comes into our lives, He's not satisfied to remain as guest. We put him in the guest room and shut the door and say, don't come in the rest of my life. You just stay back here where I want you. Don't we often do that? Don't come in here and watch what I watch on television. Don't get in my library and look at my books. You stay in the guest room. He won't stay there very long. You've got to turn the deed over to him and say, you go through the house. You clean it up. Get rid of all this filth in here. He's the only one that can lead us from our tragedy through our testing into triumph. And notice what they did as soon as they recognized him in verses 33 through 35. They shared the good news of triumph. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and said, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon, which that was earlier in the day, then the two told what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized when he broke the bread. Now keep in mind, these two had already walked from Jerusalem to Emmaus, which was seven miles. But after seeing the resurrected Jesus, after being brought out of their time of tragedy, through their time of testing, into their time of triumph, they immediately said, let's go to bed and rest a while. No. They immediately returned the seven miles to share the good news of what they had just witnessed. Although it was dark, in my mind's eye, I can see them hurrying along that dusty road back to Jerusalem, running up to the house where the eleven were hidden with, with other disciples. I can almost hear them knocking on the door, crying out, it is true. The Lord is risen. There's no reason to live as if it is Friday. Today is a time of triumph. The Lord has won victory over Satan. A couple of weeks ago, I was in a worship service in another church, and I heard a song, it's probably been a month ago, entitled Living Hope, and I thought it went so well. I'd already begun to work on this sermon because Carolyn had asked me, a month or two if I would preach today. And as soon as I heard this song, I said, I've got to incorporate that somehow into the sermon. Let me just read the words to you. Listen carefully to this, these words. How great the chasm that lay between us, how high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished. The end is written, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine a, so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken. I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. 
beautiful Savior, Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. Jesus, yours is the victory. Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. End of quote. I wonder this morning, are you experiencing Jesus, the living hope? Are you living in a time of tragedy? We all go through them. No one is exempt. Does it seem like your world coming apart? It's, the seams are just splitting, tearing. Or perhaps you're going through a time of testing. Sickness, death, trials, tribulations, they, they come on all of us. You can experience this victory, this living hope this morning. All you got to do is just realize that Christ died in your place. And without that tragedy of, of his death, there's no way that any of us could have victory. No way we could have salvation. No way that we could have eternal life. So realize, first of all, he died in your place. And secondly, invite him into your heart. Invite him into your heart. It is so sad that uh, many, many still have him in a tomb or on the cross. But this morning, you can have him in your heart. I'm going to ask that you just bow your heads and be in an attitude of prayer as our worship team returns up here and leads us in a couple of verses of an invitation. I don't know, we have, we have some visitors here this morning, and we're so glad that you saw fit to worship with us today. But our altars are open to anyone. You may not feel like kneeling or may not be able to kneel. You can come to these front pews, and uh, you can sit or kneel or stand or whatever you feel more comfortable with. If you'd like to pray by yourself, that's fine. But if you'd like for me to pray with you, you can come over to me. With, to me. I'll be standing over here on this uh, near this pew regardless of what your needs are this morning regardless of what you would like to pray about if you have a need I invite you to come and make sure that you are experiencing Jesus Christ this living hope in your life today before you leave here so as we stand to sing a few verses I invite you to come would you stand with us, please?
Because he loved us and through his death he defeated death and rose again and found triumph so that we could have hope I pray that everyone here experiences that hope in their hearts and if they don't yet know that hope I pray that um, they they find that hope and they believe in you and that you love them and died for their sins so that they could be forgiven Lord, I pray that as we continue with our lives, that you're always there and protecting, guiding, and letting us understand that you love us deeply and that you are our Father. Amen. <laughs> 